Exodus 13, 17 through 22. When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them away of the land of the Philistines. Along that was near. For God said, Least the people change their minds when they see a war and return to Egypt. But God let the people around by the way of the wilderness toward the Red Sea. And the people of Israel went up of the land of Egypt equipped for battle. Moses took the bones of Joseph with him, for Joseph had made the sons of Israel solemnly swear, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones with you from there. And they moved on from Sekoth and encamped in Ethium at the edge of the wilderness. And the Lord went before them by day in the pillar of cloud to lead them along the way, and by night in the pillar of fire to give them light. Then they might travel by the day and by night. The pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night did not depart from before the people. Exodus 13, beginning in verse 17. Passage of scripture Jeff read for us. I don't know if you know where we're at in Exodus. You said, yeah, of course I do. You said Exodus 13. Well, that doesn't tell, tell us much. So Exodus starts off with uh, Moses being born. Exodus starts off with learning the people of Israel are captured in the land. They're slaves. They've been doing so for 400 years. God works through Moses' life, and through a series of troubling times, plagues, uh, the people of Israel are kicked out of the land of Egypt. And now they find themselves right at the beginning. They've just left the land of Egypt, and now they're on their way out, and the Lord is leading them. And we read this passage this morning about uh, God leading the people uh, out of Israel. So they're just beginning. They just started. Maybe one or two days in, maybe, maybe a week. They haven't yet been out there long enough to realize they don't have any food and they don't have, have any idea where they're going. Really what this is, is the beginning of a new life. And that's exactly what the title of our message today is, A New Life. A New Life. Actually, I read a story about this gal. She had graduated from college and, uh, and she applied for a job at another college as an admissions counselor. And she got the job. She's pretty thrilled because she got a job that is using her degree and she got it right out of college. There's no uh, time waiting. She got the job and she was thinking of the excitement of what this new job was going to allow her to do. She was going to work at this new school and she would be introducing students to the courses they would be taking. She imagined herself uh, giving new families tours of the campus and finding out what their academic needs were to find out if the school was a good match uh, for their academic needs. And so she was excited, as you might expect, the first day of her new job. She bought a new uh, outfit, and she got up early, and she arrived early and got, bought her, treated herself to an expensive coffee on the way, even though she hadn't started getting paid yet. Millennials, what are you going to do? <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm not down on the millennials. Um, and she shows up, and she's all right, I'm here, I'm to be working as a admissions counselor. I say, great, we'll take you. So instead of going to the admissions building, which are like on most campuses, this beautiful, ornate building, they walk her kind of off the beaten path to this building It looks like a warehouse. She goes, what's this all about? She goes into this building that hasn't been updated in decades, and then she's uh, shown her uh, office space, and it's really nothing more than an undersized storage room that they've crammed six desks into, and a telephone is on the desk, She's handed a list of hundreds of names and said, call through these names and get them to enroll in school. So you can see where her expectations were this job of guiding and uh, working with students, excuse me, to, to meet their, their needs. And 
and uh, she discovers she's a cold caller. And this is normal for many universities nowadays, but I mean, you couldn't imagine her expectations like, what, what am I doing here? This is not what I wanted. This is exactly what's going to be happening to Israel more and more and more as they find themselves out in the Exodus. Pharaoh, this is verse 17 of Exodus 13. Pharaoh let the people go, and it says, God did not lead them by the way of the Philistines. Meaning, there's two ways. They got out of Egypt and they came to a sign. Short way, long way, and God said, we're going the long way. You know there was somebody in the back, backseat driver. Hey, God, I don't want to tell you what to do, uh, but, but the short way is this way. Nowadays, you're used to that voice in your car. It says recalculating. <laughs> Please make a U-turn, something. And, and they get out there, and God is not going to take them by the long way because he didn't want to take them up through the territory of the Philistines. The Philistines would have been an enemy of Israel, maybe, but certainly an enemy of Egypt. We're going the long way. Now, the Bible says here that they went out equipped for battle, or another way of thinking, thinking about this. They, were, they went out organized. They went out in units of people, but they would certainly not have been as well prepared for, the, for war as the Philistines were. I've often said it here, the Philistines were the United States of military at the time. Israel was an island in the South Pacific. And God says, you know, I'm not going to take them by the Philistines because if they see how uh, powerful the Philistines are, they may decide to go back to Egypt. And the Israelites, of course, are going to be bothered by the fact that their new life is starting off different than they expected. So this is the first thing we need to recognize. A new life in the Lord is never what we expect. Let me qualify that a little bit in case you're getting a little concerned. It's never, 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 ever, ever, never what we expect. I thought maybe you might be thinking there, well, it's, it's not usually what we expect. And I don't want to have you leaving here misunderstanding the Bible today. The life in the Lord, it's not just what you don't expect. It's really, really what you don't expect. God, it seems to me we're taking the long way. They get out there. Imagine maybe what the Israelites were thinking. But we just left the land of Egypt, the most wealthy and powerful nation on planet Earth. What's the big deal of walking through Philistine country? God can just wipe them out as we walk along. Just a rain of plagues in front of us. I mean, he told us not to bring any food, so our expectation will be, well, we should be in the promised land by Thursday. Wouldn't you be thinking that if God told you not to pack any food? Oh, okay, we're going to be in the land of milk and honey, living in a house we did not build, eating from a field we did not plant, drinking wine from a vineyard we did not cultivate in a week or two. Does God have any intention on getting them into the promised land by Thursday? No. And this new life in God is not what they expect at all going the long way, because they were vulnerable, because they were uh, weak, not because they were weak and the Philistines might defeat them. What's God's concern? He says this, lest the people change their minds and return to Egypt. What's the worst thing that could happen in God's mind? That they be wiped out by the Philistines? Nah, not a problem. That they starve out in the wilderness? No, not a problem. What's the worst thing that could happen? They could return to the land of their slavery Egypt, because they get out into their new life with God, 
and it's not what they expect. And God wants to take them in a long way that they might build their strength and remain in him. I might make a couple of comments on this. First of all, we want to be saved from all of the wrong things. Israel wanted to get out of Egypt. Israel wanted to be saved from slavery. God's intention was not merely to get them out of Egypt. That's too low of a problem. God's intention is for the people to find God himself. And God was not going to be in Egypt. See, the people of Israel wanted to be saved from what? Slavery in Egypt. And God said, well, I'll do that merely as a means to my primary objective, and that is this, that you will find me. The, the Lord wants to save us from the biggest problem we have. We don't have his presence. We don't have relationship with him. Generally, we want to be saved from all kinds of things. But the one thing that doesn't pop into our mind is I need salvation from God not being in my life. And that's precisely what God intended to fix. God knew what Israel needed, and God knew what they didn't need. And God knew Israel, when they left Egypt, needed to take the long way to the promised land. Israel, of course, felt they needed to take which way? The shortest way possible. God understood their needs even more than them. He wanted to take them on the long way to the, to the promised land. But listen to this. It was the shortest way to him. They wanted to take the shortest way out of Egypt. I don't think they really cared if they found him. And he says, I will give you what you need. The shortest path to relationship with me. We want the shortest path to good health. We want the shortest path to finally getting out from underneath our financial problems. We want the shortest path to relationships in our life that are wrecked, becoming whole again. We want the shortest path to family members who are caught in addiction and trouble to finally be fixed. And these are all important things and these are all good things. But God's short path isn't to those things. God has a short path for you to find him. Romans chapter 1. Verses 1 through 5 says this. I'm going to read Romans 1 through 5. Part of it's going to be up on the screen. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. How do we have peace with God? Through being really good, going to church a lot, giving away lots of money, minding our P's and Q's, making sure if we're going to sin, we keep it PG or G. We have peace with God through Lord Jesus Christ. And of course, the Lord Jesus Christ only offers salvation to the people who really are just on the margins. There are people who don't really need salvation, but just need a little push over the edge because they're that good, right? No, when it says we have peace with the Lord Jesus Christ, that means if it weren't for him, we're dead on dead. Meaning our sin killed us, and without him we're toast. Okay, so through him... We have obtained access by faith. By what? Faith, not works. By trusting in him. By believing that what he did on the cross provides salvation for those who believe him. By believing he rose from the dead so that we might have new life in him. We don't have to do anything. We have to believe him. So we have obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. As Christians, we stand in what? Grace, 
You're, of course, saved by grace and live the Christian life by really, really hard work, right? Saved by grace, stand in grace. Is there anybody who's lousy at being a Christian here? There's two kinds of people, those who admit that and those who are but just won't admit it. This is why this verse is important. We're saved by grace. We stand in grace. We rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Isn't this a great, encouraging verse? It is. We, we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Now, anybody want to find out how we get that hope? As Christians, we still need to be filled with hope, don't we? Anybody who's a believer need to be filled with hope? I'm about to ruin your day. Verse 3, you got it up there? Therefore, not only that, we rejoice in our, what does it say? You see it? Okay, hold on. Hold on. This is not what we expect. We rejoice in our sufferings. I've lost my place. Because we know that suffering produces what? Bad attitudes, discontentedness. What it's intended to produce is endurance. Endurance produces character. What's character? I'm the same way in secret that I am in public. Character produces what? Wait, that's what we wanted at the beginning. No problem. God provides it. And he has the shortest possible path to him in your Christian life so that you can have hope in Christ alone. And you just read the GPS. It starts with suffering. You endure because Jesus is that awesome. Because you endure in suffering, it produces you in you character, and your character changes. Your circumstances don't. And now you're standing in the same circumstances you were in a year ago, and now you have something different. What is it? Hope. What's the path we want to hope? Fix my problems, God, and I'll hope in you. And he says, I'm going to do something weird. I'm going to fix you so that you can have hope in the middle of your problems. Oh, that's irritating. I mean, isn't it? Of course, have you read the Old Testament? They spend the rest of their life as a nation communicating about how irritating this is. And before we throw Israel under the bus, we do the same thing. Verse 5. We got verse 5 up there? Okay. Hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has give, been given to us. We have hope in the midst of trouble, in the midst of trial, in the midst of suffering. It doesn't put us to shame. People are going to make fun of you. What is your problem? Why are you so full of joy in the middle of a life that is a train wreck? They say, well, I don't know. I, God's decided to build into me some endurance, some character. And now I have hope in him, and it has nothing to do with my circumstances. And there is never going to be shame in that hope in Christ a new life in Christ comes at the end of a road we do not expect and the road we do not expect is suffering produces endurance which eventually produces hope this is our new life in Christ we see it portrayed in the life of Israel they have a new life out of slavery to Egypt that new life is the shortest possible road to God and where is God residing at this point out in the wilderness and he is saying, I will take you through whatever you need to do to get to where you need to go. A new life, never what we expect. Verse 19 of Exodus 13. If you want to turn back there. 
Moses took the bones of Joseph with him, for Joseph had made the sons of Israel solemnly swear, God will surely visit you, and you will carry my bones with you from here. Okay, that's weird. I mean, it's not weird because it's in the Bible. We're used to reading the Bible. But if somebody told you this nowadays, you say, um, okay. Why is Joseph asking them to make sure that his final resting place is not in Egypt? A new life is always better than our old life. Our new life is always better than our old life. There's an actor, I won't say his name because then you'll be thinking about his movies, so, but there's an actor, A-list actor, big time guy, and he was asked about life as a Hollywood actor and he said this, Hollywood is my job. I go there, do my job, collect a paycheck, go home. I don't know if you know this about Hollywood, Everything about it, the movies, the culture, the people, the process, it's all fake. None of it's real. It's all pretend. It's, the whole thing is a facade. He owns, as it turns out, a 1,400-acre ranch. He spends most of his time repairing fences, working with cattle, running his ranch. And he says, I would rather be there because it's real than in Hollywood because everything about it is a facade. And it seems a little bit counterintuitive. Of course, some of us maybe in this area, we'd say, well, of course it is. But we, on the back of our mind, the idea of whining and dining and living in luxury and palaces, hanging with the most important people, there's some, some allure to that. Well, remember, that was what Joseph was doing. Do you remember who Joseph is? Who was Joseph's father? Jacob was Joseph's father. Who was Jacob's father? Isaac. And Isaac's dad was Abraham. So God made a promise to Abraham that he would establish a people through him who would bless the whole earth. That covenant went through Abraham's son, Isaac. And then Isaac had a son named Jacob. Jacob also, Isaac also had Esau. But the promise went through Jacob. God affirmed that promise to Jacob saying, my people will be reckoned through you and I'm going to give you a new name, Jacob, and your name will be Israel. So everybody who comes from Jacob is Israel. And Joseph is one of Jacob's sons. You know the story. Joseph's brothers didn't like him because he was an arrogant ne'er-do-well. He was the youngest. What are you going to do? Almost the youngest. So they sell him into slavery to some Edomites who then sell him into slavery to Egypt. Long story short, God works in his life and he comes to be the second most powerful person in Egypt the only person more powerful than Joseph in Egypt was Pharaoh himself. God used Joseph's position to save the people of Israel from starvation and established them in Egypt. And he made them promise this, when I die, God is going to deliver you from this land. Do not bury me here. I want you to make sure my bones are taken from Egypt and bury them with my, my father and his father in the promised land. Joseph was living in the second nicest house in Egypt. He had servants. He had food. He had the nicest cars. He went to the biggest premieres. And Joseph wanted to communicate in no uncertain terms, I'm not from here. These are not my people. I am from another land, and it's not this land, and I want to be buried in my land. 
the land where real joy is, the land where real happiness is, the land where God is, and it's not this place. The promised land is better than Egypt, Joseph was communicating. As good as he had it, he wanted to be clear, Egypt is not as good as the land, the place that has God's covenant promise, which is the promised land. In this life, this new life, it will always be better than our old life here. This is a, a message that's repeated throughout the Old Testament. I'm just going to reference a couple of verses so we see this working out in the New Testament. In 1 Peter 2.11, Peter says this, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles... Now I'm going to do it. I didn't know if I was going to jab you a little bit. Beloved, I urge you as illegal immigrants... Those who don't belong here, this is not your home. To live here as those who are in exile. What's it say? I say this that you might abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. I love this. Here's the thing. He says, live here as those who don't belong here and do so that you might not exercise the passions of your flesh. Here's how we want to read this. We live in this land as foreigners because it's going to make us naughty. So we're going to build big fences around our church and make sure we don't touch the world, right? Because the world's going to make us bad. What's it say? Where does the bad come from? Did you notice? The passions of your flesh that wage against your soul. As one author puts it this way, then it, the sin inside of you is worse than the sin that's out there. He's telling us to live differently in this world, to live as those who have a citizenship in another place, so therefore walk away from the passions of our own flesh, the desires that are contrary to the desires of this world. This place is not our home. This place is not our kingdom. This place does not offer us anything permanently. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 13. Hebrews, where did I turn? Okay. Hebrews chapter 11, you're maybe familiar with that chapter. If you're not, you should read it, maybe if you get bored with what I'm saying. But he discusses those of the, many of those in the Old Testament who showed faith in God, prophets, priests, kings, Moses, David, many, many, many more. He says this about all of these, these all died in faith, not having received the things promised but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on earth. So all those who came before us, who walked a life of faith, the Bible tells us all of them died without getting paid because this is not our home. They anticipated the glory of their faith occurring not in this place, but in that place the place of God, his final uh, promised land, the glory of the presence of God in heaven forever. And this is what Hebrews says about Joseph in particular, who we were reading down in verse 22 of Hebrews 11. By faith, Joseph at the end of his life made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave them directions about his bones, his remains. He says, I know this is in our land. I know God's going to get us out of Egypt as nice as it is. I don't want to be here. Make sure to bury me somewhere else. How long was it between Joseph and the Exodus? Any guesses? 
400 years. Every now and then, somebody would walk by his bone box. That day's coming. That day's coming. God's going to get us out of here because Joseph didn't put this in the ground. He left it up on top so we have easy access to it. Have you seen some of the tombs in Egypt? Have you noticed how hard they are to get to the people? Wouldn't it be different for Joseph? You don't put me under some big mound of dirt. Keep it on a shelf right there. So on your way out, just grab it. On the side of his bone box, said to go. It didn't. I made that up. It doesn't say that. That's, that's ridiculous. See, now you, that, you're going to remember that. I'm gonna... A couple more verses. Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3, verse 20. Our citizenship is where? Heaven. And from there, we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Do we have to grab Jesus' bones on the way out? No. He took care of that. He said, no, I got him. I'll just raise from the dead. Joseph, he did all right. He couldn't come back to life, though. I got that handled. Our citizenship is heaven. We await a savior, Joseph slash Jesus, Jesus. We don't have to carry his bones out because he's going to come and get us. He will transform our lowly bodies. I don't care how much you work out. It's still lowly. And it will be like his glorious body by the power that enables him to even subject all things to himself. You have a passport. What is the country of origin? It's not the U.S. of A. It is heaven. In that passport, you have a visa for temporary residence on planet Earth. One day that visa is going to run out and it's time to go home. I don't know if you've noticed, if you traveled internationally, it's real easy to get out, isn't it? They'll let you fly wherever you want almost. It's coming back where it's tricky. You've got to have that passport. And if it doesn't say, this is where you're from, they will say, you're not getting in. And our passport is the Holy Spirit. The Bible says, when we put our faith in Christ Jesus for forgiveness of sins, we are sealed with the Holy Spirit. We show up into our home country. We walk in, they say, get in here. Your visa's expired. You don't want to be there anymore anyway. A new life is always better than our old life. 2 Corinthians 5.16. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regard Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. If we're from here, if we're from heaven, we now look at each other as those either from heaven or those who need to be from heaven. Those are the two ways to regard people now. You are either from heaven with a passport like mine, or I want to get you one. And that's the only way to regard one another now. We're temporary residents with a message of peace. This world has a lot to offer that's really good, doesn't it? I meant, I made mention one of my favorite things on planet Earth is central heating and air conditioning. I love it. Sometimes I'll turn the heat way up just because I can. I can make it hot. Some things are really good. Other things are not good. This world can feed the appetites we already have. The world doesn't give them to us. We already have them. There are plenty of things in this world that are fantastic. There are plenty of things in this world that will destroy us. Our home is better than all of it. The best this world has to offer is not even close to as good as the worst 
our home has to offer. And there is nothing in our home that will ever harm us. It all will bring glory to God. It will all be from the Lord, and it will all be better. In this life, listen, let's be honest. We want security. We want our life to be settled. We want to feel like everything is dialed in. It will never be that, because this is not home. All those things, security and settledness and a homeness, is found only in our actual home, which is Christ. And those senses that we have here of settledness and security should not come from this place, but should come from Christ alone. Strength in Christ is more secure than any confidence you can have in this place. Last verse in this section, and we'll conclude with the last section. John chapter 6, verse 66. Jesus was preaching and doing what he was really, really good at, and that was making big crowds small. He felt like too many people were flocking around him for the free lunches and healings. So then he told them the truth, which he always did, but he unvarnished it. Verse 66, after this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. What? So Jesus turned to the 12. You guys going to leave too? You guys bouncing? You out? Look what Peter says in verse 68. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. See, we find this in Christ, this new life that's always better than our old life, when somehow the Spirit does that in our hearts, where we go, where else would I go? We go on that roadmap to hope, which is suffering and endurance and character, and sometimes it gets frustrating, and sometimes we fail, and sometimes it feels like it's too hard, and you want to just get out, and finally you say to yourself, where else am I going to go? It may be hard, it may be difficult, it may be frustrating, but... He has the words of life. He is the Holy One of Israel. A new life. What do we say first? It's never what we expect. Secondly, it's always, always better than our old life. Okay, let's look at Exodus 13, 20 through 22, and we'll end with these, two, these verses. So Israel moved on from Sukkoth, Sukkoth, you pronounce it really however you want. They encamped at Etham on the edge of the wilderness, and the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way, and by night in a pillar of fire, which I think would have been really, really cool. Gave them light at night that they might travel by day and by night. And the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night did not depart from before the people. A new life. Never alone. A new life never again alone. A study was done by some researchers, and they had upperclassmen at a university. Um, they said, describe to us some of the things that caused you stress as a new student at college. And so these upperclassmen would write stories of the difficulties of acclimating to uh, a life at university. So then what they did is they brought in some underclassmen and they said, listen, what we want you to do is read these stories from upperclassmen about the difficulties of college life and then write out your own stories of the challenges you're facing today. 
And so the students did that. And what they told these underclassmen was, we're going to bring in some students and do some research on those students to find out what they think of between these two stories. What they didn't tell the underclassmen was they were actually the subjects of the study. They said, okay, we can do that. So they write those out. They then tested those students over the years. This is what they found out. To read stories of other people's difficulties and to share stories of our own difficulties, it turned out their ability to deal with stress was improved a hundredfold for up to two years later. And they said, why does that happen? It's because these students, in hearing stories from others and sharing their own stories, had a sense of what? Belonging. I have a place here. I have a place. I am no longer alone on campus. I have a shared story with those who are on campus. I'm no longer alone. And what God is telling the people of Israel, your time being without me, our stories now are going to coincide. We're going to have a shared life together. You will never be alone again. God will travel with them and show them where to go, where to stop. He will be their light. He will be their protection. And this will never end. This is a spectacular demonstration of God's power, of God's leading, of God's protection. Anytime, day or night, a person, if they were feeling a little stressed out, could walk out to the door of their tent, look at the column of fire and say, okay, God's here. I mean, wouldn't that be kind of nice? Now, we've got to be honest, we're no different in Israel. It wouldn't help us much either. We'd say about, oh, you're a column of fire. That's very helpful, God. It's the middle of summer. Be nice. Column of air conditioning would be nice. That's what we would do. Serious. I only say that because that's what happens throughout the entire Bible. Every time people have the special presence of God, we take it for granted, uh, and that's what we would do too. Here's the thing. God has said to the people of Israel, and he has said to us, I am taking you on an all-expense-paid journey to find me and my presence, and that will culminate in us getting home. And God says this, I will be deciding where we go, when we stop, and the route we take. You will never be alone, but you will go where I am leading you. This is what the Bible says over in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 7. It is for discipline that you have to endure. Gee, thanks, Greg. Hey, I didn't write it. Uh, one thing I need to make us understand as we read that passage, it is for discipline. Discipline here is not punishment. A better way of understanding that would be training, being taught the right way to go. Really, the discipline here is how a coach trains an athlete, not the way a parent punishes a child. It's uh, more of a, a, a connotation of training than it is punishment. There's a bit of understanding it's suffering as a result of failure, but it's training more than it is getting justice. So it says here, God is treating you as sons. What son is there whose father doesn't discipline him or teach him the way to go? We don't enjoy our fathers or our mothers or our parents training us. But if you really think about it, at the end of our life, we're grateful that they did. And we're also hurt when they don't. And so what God is saying is here, I am going to take you on the road where you are going to be trained to understand the value of your new home and to understand what I am doing in your life, to understand his presence in our life. He is going to take us on the shortest road to him. The longest road 
in our life, though. And it's going to be training that we are going to have to endure. During that time where God is working in our life to take us through whatever we need to do to find Him most close in our life, when does He leave us? He never leaves us. He is always with us. The people of Israel were on the edge of the wilderness. God had led them away from Philistines down into the Red Sea. And we'll discover this more next week. What he has done is now put them in the most vulnerable position. Most people would say they were now in a trap. Now when Egypt comes to pursue them, they have absolutely nowhere to go. If they were going to the Philistines, the Egyptians might have pause. Because they know if they go to attack the, Egyptian, the Israelites, the Philistines might come down and repel them. But now that Israel has moved over by the Red Sea, what do, what do the Egyptians have to fear? Nothing. They get to go check, attack Israel. When they're done, they get the day at the beach. This is not a problem. Israel, God has now led them into a trap, and he's doing this on purpose. It is to help them to understand, I am with you, and that is better than anything you might find in this life because you discover you are never alone. A couple of things on this about our relationship with God. When we find God for salvation by faith in Christ, I need you to know this, you are um, joining his life. He is not joining yours. God is drawing you into the life that he has, the story he is telling of redemption, the reconciling of all things to himself. You are joining his life and his story. He is not now coming into yours going, oh boy, it's so dull saving the world. I'm glad I get to finally do something fun and hang out with you in your life. He is calling your life out of your life into his life. We are joining him and what he is up to. Romans 10.9 says this. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Okay, we want to get saved. That's good. Jesus is what? What's it say? Lord. Okay, we need to grapple with this. Your salvation is not a democracy. Jesus is, what's the word? Genie. Jesus is a genie in the bottle. If we're able to do the right rituals, be good enough, yeah, that rubs the bottle, and then he'll give us stuff we want. No, genie is, Jesus is not a genie. That's a lame savior. Jesus is grumpy. If I do so many bad things, Jesus can make my life miserable. So Jesus is not a Lord, he's just really short-tempered. No, that's not what it says either. What he says is Jesus is Lord, which is this. He's totally in charge. And when we come into life in him, what we're acknowledging is, God, you are totally in charge of every aspect of my life. A recognition of Jesus' authority. Jesus having lordship over the entire cosmos does not take away from his closeness. We can be close intimately with the Lord of all things, but he will always be leading us down the road of, I am Lord of all things. I am totally in charge. Jesus is Lord, and that actually should be a source of peace for us. We finally don't have to figure things out, but it does mean we have to be willing to agree with him that his ways are good and our ways are not. You are joining his life. God is not joining your life. Secondly, 
In finding the Lord, we need to realize our life does not just need a little improving. We need a whole new life. Our life doesn't need a tune-up from the Lord. We need to die with Jesus and be raised with a whole brand new life. A new life in the Lord. Never what we expect. Always better than our old life. Never alone. Israel was learning this. They're leaving Egypt. This new life in the Lord is going to be better than their old life. But where is God? He's out in the wilderness. That's not what they expected. Their new life with, with the Lord is always going to be better than Egypt, but it means day in and day out, they're going to have to trust God to provide what's needed just for today. And that's going to be difficult. They want control of this whole year, of this whole time. And God's going to say, I'm going to give you just enough food for today. It's better than your old life, but it means you don't get to be in charge. And finally, a new life, we, are, we will never be alone because God is always with us. All right, just a couple of application questions that you might think about. Are you ready? We'll close with this. Are you ready in your life with Christ for the unexpected? Are you ready in your life in Christ for the unexpected? Or are you hoping that your life in Christ will get somewhere closer to what you expect? It's going to be a challenge. But our new life in Christ is never what we expect. So a couple of things. Be encouraged, okay? Christians, a couple of th- things on this. Here's a question I'll ask you. Uh, in your life in Jesus, has it ever left you sort of shaking your head going, what in the world is going on? Anybody? Is it just me? It's going to be weird if it's just me. Shake your head going, Lord, this is my favorite prayer. Have you ever prayed this one? Really? I mean, seriously? Who's prayed that one? Okay, but now you've got that in your repertoire if you haven't prayed it yet. Guess what? We learned today. That's a great place to be. God's doing something consistent with his word when I wake up every morning and go, what in the world is going on? I'm going to have to cling to Jesus pretty hard today because this is crazy. You're not missing the boat then. You finally found it then. Okay, second thing. Our new life is always better than our old life. Maybe we need to take a look in our heart and examine by the power of the Spirit where our passions lie. What gets our heart racing? Is it the frail, broken down things of this place that are fun for a little bit and then after a while we need something different? Or is God going to do a work in our heart where the things that make our heart race are eternal things? Seeing new life in those who don't know Christ. Seeing sin worked out of our own life. Seeing the work of Christ in our heart where we're coming to him more in prayer because we depend on him more. Do we celebrate the fact that maybe this week we have a, a deeper hunger for the, for the truth of God's word than we did for that last week? Where do our passions lie? And we have to agree with one another and with the Holy Spirit. Our passions lie in so many places that are empty. That we might seek the Lord that he would transform our hearts that our hearts would race with the things of a kingdom that is yet to come. Final thing, in our new life, we are never alone. God never leaves us. In Christ, we always belong. I would say this to those of us who still struggle with sin. When there's two kinds of people, those who struggle with sin and those who lie. 
I would say this to those of you who came in and you really blew it this week, it was bad. As one author said this week, if we knew what you did, you wouldn't have come. You aren't alone. He never left. He still sees you. By the work of Christ, he is still warm towards you. He is still affectionate towards you. He still wants your presence. He still wants to enjoy your company. We have to, the, the enemy is the one who is going to tell you God left you. The word of God will tell us in Christ, we will never, ever be alone. Last thing, and this is a challenge for those, who are, those of us who are in Christ and those of us who have not yet found him is this. We stand at the threshold of the wilderness and out there is where God is, where life in him is. It's unexpected. It's not like this world. And the question is this, do you want to go? If you have the choice between Egypt and God's presence out there, do you want to go? 